0: build business with passion, and let data tell your story. If you are a founder having difficulties handling investors' curveball questions, or an investor wondering how to find the next golden startup deal, then this is the podcast for you. Hi, I'm Parul, your host for this episode of the Dewdash Investability podcast. Thank you, Michael, and thank you everybody who's joined us today. Um, I'm founder and CEO of Dash, uh, which Michael just in- introduced as an investor relations and fundraising platform. My background as a serial entrepreneur is that I've built multi-million dollar companies in the past and exited out of them and invested privately in private companies for more than 15 years now. I also have experience in M&A and basically the entire uh, shebang, as we say. So I'm excited to be here today and uh, share my experience today also with Ellen and learn from her. Uh, so uh, just to introduce you to our guest today, uh, Ellen Weber, she is director of Robinhood Ventures. It's a leading angel uh, network in Philadelphia region. She's also executive director for Mid-Atlantic Diamond Ventures, uh, which basically helps early stage companies. And she has over 25 years of strong experience as a business leader in multitude of uh, industries and capacities that she's worked in. She graduated from Wharton School with B.S. in economics. And I'm really excited to have this interaction with Ellen today. And Ellen, I would lead you here to kind of lead the conversation, introducing yourself furthermore, and then we can start with Q&A. Thank you so
1: much. And I'm delighted to be here uh, with this group. Um, So, you know, as as she said, I am, Um, the executive director for a large angel group. Uh, We have about 70 people in our group. I think one of the things we'll get into more detail is to understand the different types of angels, angel groups, venture capitalists, funds, you know, all all the different uh, flavors. Um, And to also understand, you know, the types of uh, companies that they invest in. We tend to be pretty much industry agnostic um, which means we might invest in anything from, you know, uh, uh, business to business technology to life sciences to even to, um, you know, hard tech or uh, chemical products. So we really cover a range. Uh, we tend to focus on um, companies that are based on the in the east co on the east coast of the United States. Um, although if one of our members knew a company that was outside that region. Uh, We might look at it and uh, we tend to like to take a really active role in the companies in which we invest and um, you know being involved with an angel group is one of the most fun things that you can do so I assume most of you are here. To learn how to get angel investment, but for those of you who are thinking about becoming angel investors, I really encourage it it's really um, it's a a very rewarding uh, experience.
0: Awesome. So thank you so much for being here. And this leads directly into my question that I had for you. So why is startup investing important for you personally? And I would like you to share the moment that led you to become an angel investor and also why you thought being part of an angel investing network is better for you than being an independent investor.
1: Right. Well, so, you know, I look at early stage investing as part of the, the engine for driving economic growth in the region in which you live. And to me, that was very, very um, important. And so, you know, uh, our group has jump started a tremendous number of companies. So so that's the reason why it's important to me over time. It's become important in a way of of supporting women and underrepresented entrepreneurs. Um, so the, when did I become involved? Um, So uh, I had a few friends who wanted to start an angel group. Um, They were more the on the finance side. I was more on the I'm more on the um, how do you run a group? How do you help uh, you know? How do you help people connect? How do you how do you how do you develop a group? And so I uh, partnered with them to help start Robin Hood Ventures. And from the very beginning, um, we wanted to create a group. We wanted to create a group that um, we had done a lot of. Um, we had all done a lot of individual investing. We thought being part of a group and part of a group that saw the deal all the way through to the end was really important. That was professionally managed. When our group started 20 years ago, there was no such thing. There were no platforms. There was no uh, partnership agreements. There were no SPDs, any of the things that you might hear angels talking about. And for, so for us, it was really important to create, to find a way to be very professional in the way that we invested and the way we interacted with the entrepreneurs. Amazing.
0: So on UDASH, we have a five T model for assessing startups which the core dimensions, which I mean, you know that pretty much is team, timing, traction, technology, product, and time market size. So, what are some of the key skills in a founding team that you look for? And uh, the second part of this question is: what are the timing risks that a startup founder they should be aware of? Of course, COVID comes from nowhere, or some other dimensions come in from nowhere. But other than that, and how is your method? Uh, what would be your method for assessing a market size, spe- especially when founders are? Going to be on a VC path, and it's all about market opportunity. So that's a lot of
1: questions. so let's let's'll uh, I'll, I'll start and then if I, if I leave one out, you'll let me know. Sure. So one of the most important things um, that we look at is the team. And um interestingly enough, you know we have some members, and they're generally engineers who come to the group and they look at product first. They fall in love with the product. And then time after time, They're disappointed because the team isn't the right team to move that product forward. So pretty much everyone in our group looks at team first. And by we don't expect a company to have everybody on the team, but we expect them to understand what their strengths are, to understand, um, you know, where their weaknesses are, who they're going to need to hire for in the funding. Um, We wanna know that they have the whatever the core function is for the company that they have that in that initial leadership team. So if it's a tech company, we're, you know, we're not interested in a company that's, you know, sending all their tech out, but if it's not, if it's just a tech enabled company and they want to, you know, and, and they want to send the tech out, that's okay. So it's really like what's core to the business. If it's a marketing play, then you better have marketing as part of your, you know, part of your leadership team is part of your as part of your DNA. We look for a team where the the team leaders um, talk respectfully um, to each other and and bring each other out. And we see that even in the initial presentation. Um, Once in a while, we'll have a company present and you'll almost see the founders like talking on top of each other during the initial presentation. That's a red flag. Um, and then we also just, we, you know, we'll do some due diligence to make sure that the t- the people are who they say they are, that they haven't inflated anything. That's, that, that can be a red flag. We look at how well do they listen? Um, be, you know, because again, in the early days, that's really all you can tell. So, so we might make a suggestion or ask a question and how they respond to that question, how they answer it. Um, know if they know the answer how confident they sound if they're not sure about the answer how comfortable they are saying they don't know but they'll check how well they defer to somebody else on their team these are all things that we look at um we might look at um, um you know that they that they really understand their core domain and that they've done their Homework. We talked to a company yesterday, we mentioned, we asked a question about one of their key competitors. They didn't know. That's a red flag. <coughs> so Those are some things we're looking at.
0: Awesome. Then the second part of the question was uh, the timing risks for a startup founder that they should be aware of and uh, how should, you know, they handle that as part of their pitch process to investors? I'm sorry. the t- the timing, timing of- the timing of a product or for their startup. So, like like when they should come to us? Right. When, yeah, okay. when when they should basically go out to the market and what should they be aware of? So competitor is one thing that you mentioned about, and mm-hmm. if they don't know their competition, of course that's really bad. But let's say if there is a big competitor and they are kind of pivoting in the same business model. Where they are now going to be. So, but what are some of those aspects that uh, farmers should think about from a competition standpoint, from a market dynamic standpoint? Where where should they kind of focus their energies on? And and it could be right like from very early stage to to growing stage. Some of that could be like applicable to both of them. So I, I,
1: okay. So so timing. You kind of have to unpack that question. Um, <clears throat> so you know, first of all, what's the right timing to 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 talk to an to an investor in the first place, you know, that's from the very beginning, you know, and we, we do office hours, for example, so that we, we first get to, you know, we can get to know the entrepreneur. It's never too early to talk, to start talking to investors. When do you actually apply for funding for our, and, and that's different for every group. So you want to do your homework on that. So for our group, for the most part, we're looking for some proof of concept and that's different in every industry it's different in with every type of company. So um, in life sciences, that might mean you have clinical clinical data. Um, it might mean, um, you know in in tech, it might mean that you have um, a certain number of people um, who have beta tested your product and have expressed a willingness to pay when it's you know when it when it's launched. Um, in some cases, uh, in some industries, we want it launched. Uh, you know, we want the company launched. We want you to have paying customers. Uh, so it, the the timing can really vary. But whatever proof of concept looks like, and then it's it's but it's also about valuation at the time of uh, at the time that you're looking for funding. So if your valuation is on the lower side and you're earlier, um, it, it's almost like if you think about it being on a you know on a curve, um, you can come earlier for funding if you are. Uh, valuation is lower if you are, um, you, you know, if if your terms and things make sense for an early stage company, you can come later in the process. Um, and then we expect the terms to be, you know, different. So part of it is making sure that your terms are commensurate with the timing. So it can vary.
0: Okay, great, thank you. So um, I know, I mean, uh, for founders, you know, this, this, uh, who have not done that engagement. And also, even if they've done the engagement, I think it might be useful to understand how is it different when you're engaging with the uh, angels who uh, you know, they can decide on their own whether to make uh, an investment decision or not. And a VC process is slightly different to an angel network's, uh, you know, so to yes. speak. So right. how should the uh, founders uh, think about uh, when they're engaging with the three different personas and what is advice that you can give them? And perhaps just uh, also share some thoughts on what would be a w- great one minute introduction that should contain some of the elements when talking to angel networks. Okay, great. So, um, you know, so start with
1: individual, um, you know, with individual angels, you know, you they're hard to meet, they're hard to find. If you find them, that's great. Um, and a lot of times they'll invest, they'll invest really early in concept. So everything I was talking about with proof of concept, they may not need that. And even sometimes in our group, you may be too early for our group to do an investment, but one of our members individually really likes what they heard, and they might put some money um, in your company early on to give you enough fuel to get to the point where you're ready to come back to the to the large group. So um, I think a lot of times with the, individual investors. It's, it's the dream under, you know, making sure the investor understands the dream and it's, it's, it's a really personal connection Um, with um, angel groups. um, You know, I mean, angels are writing their own checks. That's a really, you know, that's, that's something to really remember, right? They don't have to invest. Um, It's something that they're doing. They could be doing, you know, there's something else they could be, be paying for or doing. Um, there's probably someone at home. They have to explain, you know, that they're in, in, you know, that they're investing in this company that's early and doing something really different. So, um, but so again, if there's a personal appeal to the angel group, I, I think the point that you're talking to angel groups, you want to figure out who in the group is going to be the sponsor or the leader and make the personal connection with them so that they can really make the, um, you know, help, help sponsor you within the group. I think that's a really important thing to do. Um, And it might be the executive director. It might be someone who's got expertise, but figure out who in the group is going to really kind of get your deal through the group. The, The upside of angel groups is they invest earlier than other people invest. The downside of groups is they, they can take a little bit longer because it's it's nobody's job to do this um and so you've got to you may have you know a, a group of 50 or 60 people you may have to have a lot of multiple meetings and you kind of have to steer the ship and the stronger you steer the ship rather than letting the angels steer the ship um, the better things are really um you know uh i think it's, i think that's really critical um and some angel groups have more process than others and so you want to understand what their process is and make sure that you are leveraging that process to the best. And you want to make sure when you're working with an angel group that you are coming back as fast as possible so that you are not the the barrier to a deal being done. Um, VCs, they are investing other people's money based on a thesis. So what you need to do is make sure that the VC understands how you fit into that thesis and how you are going to make them, a lot of money that will be a very positive exit um, within the timeframe of their fund. And one of the things you wanna know when you're talking to a VC is where are they in the lifetime of their fund? If they're early on in their fund, they're gonna be very patient with you. If they're pretty late in their fund, you're one of the last investments and they need to to get you exited fast because they've got to show progress in order to create the next fund, right? And so, so you want to know where you where you sit in a, a VC fund. One of the things you want to do in all these cases is to talk to other people um, that these, you know, the angel group or the VC has invested in. You want to do as much due diligence on the angels and the VCs as they do on you. And and I don't know that everybody knows that, but that's really really important. So look at the portfolio of the VCs or the angel groups, the individual investor, individual investors. Sometimes you can look on list or um, Crunchbase to find it and call the CEOs of the other companies and ask them what the experience was like. It's really important. How hands on are they? Do they provide the? everybody says they provide resources? Do they really provide the resources that they say? You know, do, do they are they in for the long haul? Do they introduce you to other people? What value do they provide?
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for that because I think that is a very valuable advice. And at Udash, we always tell startups to you know look at what VC's or investors in general do. Your own due diligence, and we provide that information to them. Also, they can the investors like yourself who are there on Udash. There is a complete profile, and they can look at their thesis, their geographical focus, and the stage of the company. And sometimes they even share the check size with they usually typically write and Of course, it depends on the opportunity and how uh, the traction for a company looks like and what are the investment signals that uh, resonate with the investors. So when all of that does not happen, so how should a startup founder transform that rejection into an opportunity to build a relationship with an angel or an angel network?
1: Right. So most angel groups, if they're doing their job, won't tell you no, they'll tell you not yet. Here's what we still, here's what we need to see in order to invest. And I would tell you that probably 70% of the companies in our portfolio, we said, no, come back when you've gotten this done. And the ones that do that we we have invested in. So um, you want to get real clarity on why they said no, and don't take the soft answer, right? It's too early or uh, you know it's just not in our space. that that's just, you know, that's not an acceptable answer in my book. Um, get the real answer. So it might be you're early, we want to see two customers, or you're early, we want to see, you know, in vivo trial, or you know, you're early. we don't we don't think your go to market strategy, is really thought through enough and, and um you know we lack confidence in it you know just keep keep pushing until they until they give you something that's actionable and then make sure that you find one person in the group. Um don't don't you know I wouldn't I wouldn't bother with sending stuff to the whole group, but find one or two people in the group that you feel like you connected with and, and update them periodically on how you're doing against the um you know, uh, uh, against the criteria that they that they gave you. Okay.
0: Awesome. So, do you have a checklist or a bunch of questions that you ask and rate the answers for the founders and startups when you meet them? A lot of people say there's, of course, you've said as well there's a team, and many people say there's product market fit. But I would like to know from you what do you consider the most important thing for for your yourself and for your network other than these two criteria,s and what right. are some of the triggers to for those investment decisions to
1: happen? Right. Well, so there's so there's different phases of decision making, right? So first, you know, if, if you think about the way the process works, at least for groups, there's a screening process. And and the group is screening, you know, a couple hundred opportunities a month trying to decide, or or you know, maybe 50 a month trying to decide which companies are we going to invite to present. So the decision cri- criteria there are much um you know they're much higher level it's it, it, it again it's like do we feel like they have the right team do we feel like um they they are they in a market that's exciting to us um is it a big enough market can we see you know can we visualize based on what they've provided us a return is there enough information to understand what the business model is I think those are kind of the key things that that uh, we decide who to invite in. The other thing we we that helps us decide who to invite in to present is how close are they to closing? If um if they don't if you don't have deal terms, if you don't have a lead, if you don't have um you know uh, uh, clear documentation stuff like that we might put you on hold and bring in a company that's ready to you know that's going to close really soon right so you want to create a sense of urgency as best as you can uh, without exaggerating because one of the things that happens with angel groups is they talk to each other so you would never want to say to somebody you know like at one angel group that you have robin you know robin hood has soft circled you when we have not okay you want to be you know, but you might say, Robin Hood's bringing us into their into their meeting. And then that group, you, you they're going to call me and say, "Are they really coming to your meeting?" I'll say, "Yeah, we're you know we're excited or you know we'll let you, we'll let you know what happens. so theres there's that first decision making point. Then there, then, through due diligence, I mean, we've got two different checklists, one for tech and one for life science, and they're very extensive. and then and then we dig down a whole lot more. You know at the end of the day, though, um, it, the, you know the question is do we believe that this team has a market, has a product that fits a market that will grow into something really great and that will have a successful exit and that we can add value to? So that's the very high level. but but yeah, I and mean, there's like a hundred questions that that happen. And during due diligence, we'll send you those we'll tailor the questions for your product and we'll send you those questions in advance so you can start thinking about them. One um you know trick that I've learned along the way is if you can have a deal room, right? Like do-does. If you have a deal room ready to go, that makes a real difference for a group's ability to quickly make a decision. So I you know I see I see a lot of value in what they're doing there.
0: Thank you for uh, mentioning that Ellen so in fact that just um uh, brings me to one of the things. So one of the startups recently got a commitment of two million because their data room was already, their profile was complete and the KPIs were just, you know, growing. So they've, they've shown a growth rate of more than 30% over the last six months. And they're now, you know, extended <laughs> extending their rounds another three million, half a mil of that is already committed. So, so that's what I'm saying that those deals can happen. So this was a company which was making revenue, but we've also seen IP led companies their valuations just go out of the roof. If they get the approval or if they get one good customer, a CVC or somebody gets really interested in them, two of those companies having their complete data room set up and their profile in a comprehensive way, that was a right fit for the engagement and the engagement was built from there. And the startups progressively shared their business plan, marketing plan, all the company documents, and they are also able to share their monthly and quarterly investment reports right directly from the platform itself. So it's a complete uh, ecosystem for investor relations in one system. And for investors, it's right from deal flow through due diligence and portfolio tracking and management in one system. So I would definitely recommend, uh, strongly recommend all the startups here, just go ahead and set up your free fundraising profile. And for those of you who are investors, you can also just register very simply a few clicks and access the flow and perform due diligence and track your portfolios. So, um, Ellen, uh, what should uh, the emerging startups consider when they are defining their go to market strategy in today's time, especially because their market is very sensitive. Uh, at this stage and uh, the valuations and all of that is kind of uh, being uh, very, very uh, debatable. And we hear, we heard on Monday Klarna lost a massive valuation on their company, valuation overall what they had last year to what they have now. So other than stretching the runway, what what are the variables they should be balancing while building a next disruptive company?
1: I'm sorry. are you asking in terms of valuation or in terms of what they should be building? I,
0: I, so in today's market, you know, the companies are building their business for sure. and the valuations are under scrutiny. Uh-huh. so how should startups go about their fundraising process at the moment?
1: Okay, yeah. so yeah, valuations have been very frothy over the last few years. Um and by frothy, I mean, Uh, they felt a little high um, and and not necessarily based on substance. So I think the key is, um, and you really don't want to be overpriced in the beginning because that's going to impact you as a founder as well, you know, and and the worst thing that can happen is a down round. And the last time we had down rounds was, you know, when the um, economy was pretty tough back in 2008, 2009, um, so, so you do want to make sure that your valuation um, makes sense, that it matches um, you know uh, where where other companies are, that it 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 that's kind of in line with with where you are. And there's no at the point where most of the startup companies are, there's no science to it, right? There's no you don't have any. Run rates of revenue and projections and things like that that you can really do. And so, what you're really looking at comparables, and you're looking at, um, you know, we we kind of look at it from a perspective of, oh you know, part of, you know I mean, the comparables really make sense. Like, do we want to invest in this company at a five million dollar valuation that we think could get acquired in five years at fifty million? or do we want to invest in this company that has a $10 million valuation, which we think could be acquired at, you know, 200 million. Right. And so, so, so part of it is thinking is, is figuring out what would an exit look like? Um, what would be the, you know, what would be the return to an investor based on that type of, of, um, of exit and, um, then working backwards, what would the, the valuation need, need to be? I, think, I yeah. think that's the most practical way to do that right now.
0: Absolutely, I think being practical and being pragmatic is the most important thing founders can do. So I will have just a bunch of questions for you and then we'll open it for audience questions. Please feel free to start putting them on the chat and uh, I'll, I'll ask that for those questions for you to Ellen in, in the interest of time. Mm -hmm. and uh, keeping it uh, simple for everybody. So Ellen, uh, what would be, uh, I mean, it's been a long journey for you for Robinhood Ventures and you've created a large group here and you've made some very interesting investments and also very diverse portfolio. So what are your long-term goals with Robinhood Ventures? Uh, Long-term goals for Robinhood Ventures? You know, I think we want to
1: continue to increase um, the impact that we have um, in our region, we want to increase the, you know, the number of companies that we're investing in. Um, and I, I think for us, it's a lot of, it's really about impact. What kind of impact do we want to have? We've been, we've been focusing on that in terms of, of, um, you know, I I think a, a lot of angels are at an age where they're thinking about legacy. So I think there's some legacy built into that as well. So how do we have impact particularly on the region? Um, How do we help grow more companies? Um, You know, those are really the the key things from from our perspective.
0: Great. Thank you. So this is now a rapid fire question round. So I would just ask you to answer in short sentences. Mm -hmm. Are you ready? Yep. So share one of the craziest ideas that was pitched to you. Yeah. So an entrepreneur had an idea to
1: take all the services and products from Public corporate from corporations and 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 uh, 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 you know public um, agencies and and send them all over to the universities to manage. If you've ever worked in a university, you know why that was a scary uh, proposition. That was probably the craziest I saw.
0: okay, interesting. So what are some of the latest trends and technologies that you're watching and are excited about and feel very strongly about? Um, so
1: you know we really um, We've been focusing a lot on life sciences, femtech, tech, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, um, diagnostic as well as uh, therapeutic. I think that's been that's been an area of um, fo- of of strong focus for us lately.
0: Okay, who is your childhood inspiration? So um,
1: I don't know if she's known worldwide, but her name was Bella Abzug. She was a congressman from. Um, New York, not where I'm from, but she was, um, she was just a leader. She was tough. She, she made things happen. Um, she was, she was just awesome.
0: Amazing. So what was one thing that triggered you from, from her persona that you saw? Uh, She just, she just had a way about her of figuring out how
1: to negotiate and get you know, people who are on different sides of the fence to come together and come to agreement. She's also famous for wearing really big hats. So uh, whenever I see someone walk by with a really big hat, I think of Bella.
0: Interesting. I I need to look that up and I'll probably tap onto your uh, notes there (laughs) to look into that. That sounds very exciting. Mm -hmm. So what qualities do you value the most in a professional relationship? In a professional relationship? I think um, transparency,
1: is really critical, and people who are thinking, you know, who are always taking the the high road, and it's actually one of the things I love working about working in an angel group because these are people who tend to always take the high road, to always think about what's, you know, what's the best thing we can do here, rather than what's the thing that's best for for me as individual. Mm-hmm. They're real always thinking kind of big picture and um, and and high road. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and what are you currently reading, Ellen? So, um, I was
1: just in Israel for um, a couple of weeks, and so I brought back a book on the history of Israel, which I've been reading. Awesome. Mm-hmm.
0: What would you give as one piece of advice to young Ellen? What would that be? To young Ellen?
1: Um, don't be afraid. Um, you know, uh, push your limits um, And uh, don't be afraid to ask people for help. And I think that goes to, Every entrepreneur, don't be afraid to ask people for help.
0: Thank you. So I'll now uh, get on to the audience questions now. So there's a very interesting question. Somebody asked you to compare Robin Hood to Sequoia. So I don't know what the intention is here, but uh, I don't know if the checks and balances have to be there from an I guess from an impact standpoint. Uh,
1: I'm sorry, the difference between us and Sequoia, I mean, they're huge, right? <laughs> and they've got teams of people to you know, to go out and find deals and um oh boy, I mean they're they're just, I, I think just the, the sheer size and and they, they're market makers, right? So if they say we're going to invest in this, then everyone's gonna follow follow suits. Um, so I I I just think that
0: I I I I, I, I have a perspective here because I think Robin Hood Angel Networks and the angels actually give the wings uh, for startups to fly to get to Sequoia. So yeah 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 to us it is
1: a victory if uh, you know I mean some companies don't need venture capital but a lot of times we know that we are you know we're giving them the. You know we're giving them the fuel that they need to get to that next level and what we want to make sure is when we invest in a company that um that it's very clear so what, what you as an entrepreneur want to do is make it very clear what milestone are we funding mm-hmm. um and that and that this the amount of money is commensurate with that with that amount and then um and then report back to us that how we're how you're doing against the milestone because most entrepreneurs are going to need follow-on investment and we are very happy to do the follow-on investment if we know that you've hit your milestone and you've kept us posted and 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 um, kept in touch with us to allow us to you know provide you support along the way.
0: Okay, so the next question is uh, at a pre-seed pre-revenue level, what do you need to think about for an exit strategy when presenting to investors?
1: Uh, yeah, that's so hard. Precede, um, you know, pre, you know, precede pre-revenue. I think it's really um, um, helping us understand how you're going to go to market, helping us understand what proof of concept you have other than revenue. Um, and and um, some you know, so, so sometimes that that can happen. I think most of the time with most angel groups, you precede pre-revenue. You're probably not gonna get funding from most angel groups, but you're starting that conversation so Mm -hmm. that when you have that first customer, um, you're ready to go. We already know you. Mm -hmm. We're excited to hear your progress. And again, it is always about keeping the communication going. Here's the milestone we're gonna reach and then reaching it and letting us know you reached it. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay. So uh, then the next question is, when you're starting a proven concept, however, there is almost zero other groups starting similar opportunity. What groups of VCs and angels will look at different opportunities? So they're saying that they're probably in a very very niche category, and there are not not really no competition, direct competition, so to speak. Uh, yeah,
1: I, I mean, honestly, I, if if you dig hard enough, it is very hard to find a company that doesn't have direct competition. Um, Yeah. And so I, I don't, I mean, I, I just, I have a hard time. Um, I have a hard time buying that.
0: Yeah. I think there is direct and indirect competition. So just keep, keep looking, look at keywords, look at different geographies. That, that, that could be one way to possibly look into that. And uh, once you're pitching to investors, I'm sure they would they would be able to tell you more about your own <laughs> competition than uh, you would know yourself. So that happens because investors are fairly aware people and they know what's happening in the market.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, Especially VCs yeah. where they're they're very very focused on on a yeah. market. They, you yeah. know, you don't want them to know more about your market than 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 you do. That's that's. Uh, but but they, you know they they tend to see the patterns and and, yeah. and things like that. That's more VCs because they have they have more time focused on one specific, um, you know, theme. Hmm.
0: Okay. then the next question is that um, uh, I'm not sure if you can answer that, Ellen. So they're asking for any services to validate a pre-seed company's valuation or something.
1: So I think it's a question on how to come up
0: for a valuation for a very early company. Yeah.
1: And I think I you know, I think I think the best way to do is the way I was talking about. Think about what do you think you could exit for? You know, um, um, you know, it's called VC math. If you look it up, there's a there's a formula for that. I think that's I think that's the best way to do it. I do want to go back to. I'm sorry, I I don't think I answered one of the questions before, which is so if you are pre seed pre revenue, you have trouble talking to angels how do you reach out to them? So let me, let me answer that a little bit differently. Okay. Cause you do want, cause I can say very, I can say it's easy for me to say, you know, you want to start meeting them. And I know some of you feel that that's very difficult. So let me talk about how do you actually reach them in the first place? So there's a number of ways that you can do that groups like mine have office hours. And so take, take the angels up on their office hours. Um, so that you get to to know them. And you'll never you never know. There might be someone on, you know, one of the members who's listening to office hours who goes, I know you're pre-revenue, but that sounds so cool. Please apply and you know, let me let me kind of champion you. So, so take take groups up on office hours. Go to the events where angels are. So that might be angel venture, it may be venture forums, it might be, you know, every city, it's different, but but go to where the angels are and, and talk to them. They do want to get to know you. Um so so and you don't have to be pitching at most events to be able to have to have access to the to the um to the investors and then um, you know I, I actually believe that with vc firms are different and maybe different vcs will tell you different things but, you know, you've got the the really, you know, the the uh, newest in at the VC firms and their jobs are to find an exciting company and bring it to their management. So I would I would really get to know those, you know, those intro, those young analysts and um, see how you can help them. And maybe you introduce yourselves, you introduce some others, because um, if you make them look good, they'll be very happy to to help you.
0: Thanks. Next question is uh, from a solopreneur, I think. So how do angel investors think about, uh, I think, for a company, or a solopreneur and investing in them?
1: So there's two different things when I think about solopreneur. Solopreneur with a lifestyle business, that's, that's that's just not what we're in business to do. If you mean that you're a lone entrepreneur and you haven't built your team out, but you're building a scalable business, Um, I think, and we just We invested this year in an entrepreneur like that. He didn't have his team yet. And we were a little nervous investing Mm -hmm. because we didn't know what kind of team he would pick, but what he did was he said, listen, if I get the million dollar round that I need closed, these are the people, these are the jobs that I know, these are the roles that I know need to be filled. And these are the people who I'm thinking about filling them with. And so that gave us the confidence that he was thinking about building you know, a, a company that was scalable and could grow. If you're an, a solopreneur and you wanna stay a solopreneur, you're not, I don't know how
0: you scale enough that we add value
1: to you. So that wouldn't be a fit.
0: Yeah, very valuable advice there. So in the same breath, there is a founder who's asking, that uh, they've been looking for potential angels because they do not have their pilot yet. They're still building that and they're facing some issues reaching out. So what should be the right way to approach angels if they are still like trying to get their MVP or the pilot project out there? Yeah, I, well, I think
1: all those same things we were talking about, yeah. you know, go to the events where they are taking yeah. up on office hours. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's lots of different ways to connect. Yeah.
0: Okay, great, thanks. So, in your view about diversity in a startup founding team, say the team have bonded over internet and building a solution, something like that. So, do you, have you seen that diversity, diversity in a startup team happened over internet or something like that, I guess? I'm not sure what the question is. I'm, I think I'm going to try and answer. They clarify that. Sorry about that. So, how do you define a unique selling point for a startup today, especially in a developing countries where most of the basic facilities result in a lot of traction?
1: Um, so, we we don't in, we're not investing in developing companies, so I'm a country, so I'm not the right person to ask that question. Right. Sorry.
0: Okay. Fine. But in general, uh, what would you say for today's startup? What is a unique selling point? Uh, what's your unique selling point? Yeah, you know that's
1: that is such an important skill to be able to to do. I mean, that's the thing that helps us understand what is really special. Um, it's, it's kind of like the why will you win? Um, and so um, and and so you know, when we were talking about no competition before, it, that's kind of where you say, well, there's lots of competition, but here's why we are really, really you know special and and poised to win. Here's 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 what we've got that nobody else has. And so um, to me, that's different than no competition. That's saying here's the competition, but we're the only one who's doing this really special thing. And the more you can get that across and why you have that, um, I think you know this comes from years in the domain, or this comes from, you know, uh, um, you know, a discovery we had in the lab. Um, but something that, that helps build on that unique selling point and the better you are able to, it, I mean, a lot of times when, when, um, an entrepreneur is pitching, we're just not hearing that unique selling point, uh, you know, that, that unique point. So, so really focus on, um, saying it as clearly as you, as you can. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. I'm going to skip next question because, uh, uh Robinhood Ventures is not in the restaurant, the food business. So I think it's not a relevant question. And then the next question was, was, I can answer that. The groups of VCs recommended for companies that want to scale while all the VCs look for companies that are looking to scale. If not 10X, then 100X is great. Even better, go to them. So uh, the next question, Helen, is that uh, this, this person is asking, I'm running a company from the last two and a half years, which is generating annual revenue of $100,000. There are services-based company now adopting technology and uh, they are they are looking for uh, 10% uh, equity uh, further to dilute and uh, they're looking for a right model to pivot a service model to basically go for fundraising route. So he's just saying that if he asks for the revenue that he's making right now, to dilute his company, let's say 10%. And if he asks hundred K for that, would, would that make sense? Would that be a good model or what, what, how should he look at the, dilute? how should he value his business? I think that's what he's looking at basically. Right.
1: So as a service-based business,
0: that might be, you know, we don't tend to invest in service-based
1: businesses. Um, And it's not so much what your revenue we want to know that you've got some revenue, but it's not about what your revenue is today. It's about where it's going to be in, you know, two, three years. And so we're kind of modeling out from, from there. Um, so, um, demand, so asking for a hundred thousand at 10% equity, is that a genuine ask? It's just not the way, again, I don't think it's the way we really we really think about it. Um, service-based might, might be the way that people think about it, but in general, the companies that we're looking at, we're thinking about, Where's the company going to exit, right? And what's the return on what's the return, um, what's the return on investment? Now, how much revenue you have can can impact what that exit looks like, right? So so companies in our you know companies in um, in in our specific niche exit um, when they've hit 10 million in revenue, and we expect to sell for you know five times revenue. Okay, 50 million. That's where That to me is where the, the revenue yeah. comes into play.
0: So I think to answer his question would be like based on the adoption that you're doing or the pivot that you're doing for technology adoption uh, in your current business and what is the scale you can achieve based on that. You can think about valuing your company and define the terms based on that. So I think that will be helpful perhaps from the explanation that Ellen just provided you. Right. So um, there is another question that uh, do you believe that startups working in the field or like e-commerce or online selling platforms where there is a massive competition, can they become successful uh, in today's time? And if yes, then what could be the single most important thing that they should focus on?
1: Um, oh, I absolutely believe that startups that are working in fields where there are giants in competition can be successful because that's where your exit is, right? Um, And so if you figure out something that that online selling platform needs, for example, right, um, that's, you know, that's, that's, um, I think that's, I think that's an important thing to think about if you're, if you're in that space, you know, um, uh, but, but also if there's something to, again, you know, the, the giants have become monolithic and they may, they may sometimes miss. Some type of new opportunity. So, if there's something again unique, right, that unique selling proposition we were talking about. If there's something really unique about what you're doing, I absolutely think that a company could still be um, successful even with giant, giant, com- giants in the competition. And especially if there's like a lot of little players and a giant, then you know I, I think you've got you know there's a good there's a good chance there.
0: Now there are very interesting questions, couple of them. So, how do you avoid FOMO when uh, when startup and you are negotiating and you are feeling that this is a good, good investment. So how do you avoid that situation that, when making investment decisions?
1: Well, actually, I'd say it's the opposite. I think of it as, as an entrepreneur, how do you create fear of missing out in the investor? So they feel like if they don't make a decision soon, they're going to lose out on your opportunity and they're going to regret it. So that's that, that that's where fomo comes into play i think so it's the the entrepreneurs to create this you know this this feeling of boy i've got something really special i've got some other people who who want in as well you can you can come in it's a it's a limited opportunity the next time you know you can say it's early we'll invest when you come back you know uh, uh when you come back but we may not come back. Right. So you creating so and, but you, and you have to do it very respectfully and, 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 and nicely. Right. But you want to create FOMO in the investor. Um, so now if some, if that's an investor asking that question, how do you avoid FOMO when making investment decisions? Yeah. So that's, that's, a that's like a, we have to be, careful about not making emotional decisions based on fear of missing out right we have to make sure that the fundamentals still make sense um you know i remember once there was a company a couple people in our group got excited about because the entrepreneur had a i don't know he had a jet and he was taking he was going to take people to some kind of event and everybody thought this was really fun and cool you know it was like crazy right and so there was all this like excitement around the deal and then someone said the deal doesn't make sense. Right. It was like, you know, it was like, let's get back to the fundamentals. So, so yes. So we have to be very careful that FOMO doesn't carry us away. You as an entrepreneur need to be very, you know, need to really think about how do I build up FOMO without, um, without exaggerating, without, you know, creating something that you can't, um, you know, that you, that you, that you, you can't execute on. Hmm.
0: Awesome. So they stick to fundamentals, both founders and investors. So that's like the key advice of this session on both sides. So how's the global recession or the slowdown impacting angel investors? Yeah. So, um, it's interesting. Um, it's really
1: impacted DC and other things, even though they've got so much money, sitting on the sidelines because they raised a lot of money the last few years, right? They're not spending their money right now because they're trying to figure out where should they be spending their money. I think one of the things we've seen with angels with slowdowns in the past is they get a little bit cautious in case their overall portfolio um, goes down too far. They want to save some cash. But a lot of them tend to trust their own instincts in investing rather than putting money into the stock market. So we've actually seen those two things kind of balance themselves out, at least within our group, so that the level of investing um, doesn't go down. What does happen is we wanna be assured that we're putting enough money into the company, that the company is raising enough money that they're gonna get through this, this, this difficult global economic crisis. And so what you don't want to do is like try and raise 250 right now when you're going to need a million in the next year. You're going to have to bite the bullet and go for that, you know, like one and a half million now, um, because nobody wants to put a little bit of money in and figure that you're just not going to make it when the next funding round comes up. So that's what we're seeing. We're also seeing like $10 million rounds are the worst to get funded. Um I'm not, I'm not exactly sure what's causing that, but that's like, that's like the, you know, it, it, it's VC money. is, is just, It's just harder right now, but so the angels are still investing. I'm waiting to see the latest report to see if we're continuing to invest. But I know our group we've, I, I think we're investing more this year than we have even in the past. Amazing. So how,
0: roughly what are the percentage of deals that are pitched to you? Do you end up investing in? So um, let's see. Um, I can give you uh, data from twenty from last
1: year. We probably had we we had a ton of applications, um, but most of them get screened out almost automatically because they're just they're just completely not within our criteria. So there were about there were about 400 last year that came into our group that were within our initial criteria. Um, of those, 30 companies presented to the group in the large group setting. 24 of them moved on to due diligence. We invested in five.
0: Wow, that's a massive, massive filtration there. Yeah, so actually, so we are, so
1: actually that's about 1.25% of deals got funded. Most angel groups are about 1%. We're a little bit higher than the norm. I think it's about- I know that's a devastating number to hear, um you know that only one percent of companies get funded but that's that's the reality
0: right okay um then i'm going to move on to a couple of last questions and then uh, we're getting close on the clock as well so there's a question uh, which is asked uh, by a founder he's asking that how can startups get a mentor or an advisory board set up for them in a best way, and what is the kind of uh, skills they should look for such an advisory board, and uh, how should they help the company if they set up this kind of an advisory board?
1: Yeah, so I think um, I, I think um advisory boards are really critical. Um,
0: so so what's the best way to set them up? So one is like how should you go about it, and also what like when they're setting it up, like, what are the skills they should be looking and how should these people actually help the company? So that kind of app channels into the skills they should be looking into. So so there's a a great article that Founders
1: Institute did, which almost they kind of create job descriptions for the advisors. Um, And there's different types of advisors, right? There, there are those advisors that are going to talk to you once a week. Those that you just, you know, they may be a scientific advisory board that you meet with once a quarter. So you wanna be very clear on what the role is. Um, It's actually, I I think there's never been a better time to find um, advisors, because people really wanna do that. Um, And um, so, you know, you could, you know, I I think um, look for, investors to be advisors look for experts in your field you know again a lot of it's about going to events and meeting people every region has their own place you know where people go in philly there's venture cafe there's pact there's um you know there's philly startup leaders i'm sure every region has their has their own thing but go start to meet with people talk to them Um, it's a long-term relationship so i wouldn't jump too quickly to an advisor role start with lunch right yeah Um, or i guess a zoom session in this day and age um and but but clearly
0: define roles okay great so then the last question here how can one join uh, your group as an investor oh um well you start
1: with a conversation with me and uh, i'll take you through what that looks like um and um and uh yeah, so I mean that—that's the best way to start. We can talk about what it looks like. Um, help you match you up with, you know, if it's not our group, what a what um, a better group might be. In our group, you actually come to three meetings um, before you decide um, that we're a good fit for you because it's a long-term commitment. Uh, you know, you're investing in companies for the long haul, and so you really want to make sure that you like the group that you're that you're thinking about joining. So I would say the first um, step is. Uh, um, you know to 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 connect with me. um some of you I, I saw a couple of places where people felt I didn't answer the questions appropriately or you know they want to know how do I get in touch. So um I just put in the link for our office hours um and so you can sign up for office hours with us. Um if I didn't answer one of the questions appropriately, I apologize it's 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 it's, it's kind of challenging in this kind of um environment to uh, to get all the the context correct um. But uh, you can sign up for office hours. Um, you know, uh, uh, if you want to talk to us, you know, I, I mean, I would tell you if you're not within the U.S., we're probably not going to invest. So it may not be the best use of your time. But um, you know, uh, please certainly um, you know uh, consider doing office hours. If not with us, with the group in your region.
0: Okay. Awesome. Okay. Thank you so much, Ellen. That was lovely talking to you. Um, My pleasure. I <laughs> I know you are on uh, Judash platform and founders will reach out to you. I'm quite sure. Okay. And, uh, we we do have some amazing startups. So I would say look, looking forward to your engagement there. And thank you so much for your time and everybody who joined us today. Thank you so much for your engagement for startups. Again, go, go ahead and set up your pre- free fundraising profile. And there you can interact with the investors there. And likewise for investors to engage with startups, just set up your business profile there, and uh, startups can investors can look at if it's the right match. So it goes in both directions. And, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing most of you there and uh, taking things forward from that standpoint. I know Michael has been posting on the chat. We do have some interesting offers uh, from dash as well as our partners. So feel free to avail that it helps uh, startups, you know, not only building their business, they are, you know, bootstrapped or crashed uh, for the resources. So it's the credits up to $200,000. If you're there on DUDASH platform, you can avail those benefits as well. So thank you so much once again, for everybody joining us from all over the world. And thank you, Ellen, and I wish you a great day ahead. Thank you so much once again. Thank you. And, uh, thank you. Fundraising is an event, but what happens before and after that? Qualitative investor relations are the basis for future success. Visit udash.com to learn more. And for more episodes, subscribe to our channel.